Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Looking at free agency a bit differently. Everyone likes to attach labels to things, and that's exactly what we do with the moves made thus far in the offseason. GM Steve Kimes certainly has been busy, and he has had to have some tough conversations. We'll get into that. Also, what's next for Kimes? We'll fill you in. It's Cardinals Cover 2, episode 411, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2 with Craig Grealoux and Mike Jarecki. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. Murray rolls to the right, throws near side, defense caught, and he's into the end zone for the touchdown. Here's Craig Grealoux and Mike Jarecki. Hope everyone had a great weekend. It certainly was a busy sports weekend outside of the NFL, and that got me thinking, MJ. One year ago, there was nothing happening, absolutely nothing. And you look at what we had in Arizona the past couple of days, baseball, basketball, hockey, and by the way, congratulations to the U of A for their run in the NCAA tournament. So close, yet could not quite get over the hump against Stanford, but still a tremendous run, and they should be congratulated. But all of this, considering where we were 365 days ago, MJ, I think I think we're kind of getting back to normal, so to speak. I think we're headed in that direction, and I think it's all going to come down to people still wearing their mask, uh, getting their vaccines, and then, you know, social distancing. But, you know, I, I think for the most part, when you get to the month of April, and like you said, they, they canceled uh, the tournament last year, and that's big money for the networks. And then, you know, baseball was in spring training, and they canceled that, and we all know what happened in the NBA. Um, in, in the NFL, they shut down their facilities. We, we were, as we are now, working from home. Now, Craig, I, I have been back in the building. Um, uh, I miss you there, and hopefully in due time. It's only been a couple days a week. Um, we do get a nice lunch, um, so that's a good thing. Uh, but anyways, you just look at the month of April, and you talk about, you know, besides the NFL. Now, let's be honest here. When it comes to the draft, for, for those three days, I mean, it's going to steal headlines. But you know, eventually, NBA playoffs, the Suns are doing really well. Coyotes, we'll see. But then we got the Masters. I mean, just the month of April compared to a year ago, it is night and day. And it is certainly going to be dominated, at least our, on our end, with the NFL draft coming up at the end of the month. More on that a little bit later on here on this Cardinals Cover 2 Presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. We kind of stumbled upon a topic in our last show, looking at free agency and the moves the Cardinals have made here in the offseason. And how about we label some of what has happened? Kind of do it in a yearbook style. Remember, best dressed, most popular, most likely to succeed, most athletic. You know, all the superlatives, MJ, that you landed in your high school days in upstate New York. You were you were the king. So let's see if we can't put some crowns on some new Arizona Cardinals players here this offseason. And when we say we've got seven categories, all right? Let's see how this works. First category, and I think I know what the answer is on your end, MJ. Best move of the offseason. And this is regardless of how we acquired that player talking about the Cardinals, whether that's a signing, a re-signing or a trade. I think you and I are in agreement considering the Cardinals were searching for an upgrade at center. I think that was very clear from Sean Kugler talking about competition. We didn't know what was going to happen at the time. Cardinals were, you know, looking at Corey Lindsley and then all of a sudden you find out and, you know, Steve said he was shocked. Initially they were going to release him. And at that point, he said it took 10 minutes when him and Mike Mayock got on the phone. So to me, instant upgrade. Um, we're not talking about the guy that's missed games. Uh, we're talking about a guy that's been to the Pro Bowl, how many consecutive starts, how many penalties he's had, how many uh, sacks he's given up. And I just think it's really going to help Kyler Murray with the line calls. I just think it, the offensive line will, will calm down. You don't want to have too many new starters, even though um, at the end of the day, they're going to play the best five guys. So. It's hard for me to come up with somebody that could have a bigger impact than Rodney Hudson in his first season. 
Yeah, and I would agree with that. Based now going into free agency in this offseason, it didn't cross any of our minds. I mean, you're always looking to upgrade, but based off of some of the postseason comments from either the head coach or in this case, Sean Hoogler specifically mentioning the interior and the center position, then you're like, all right, well, this is obviously something that is at the forefront of their minds, and it became at the forefront of ours as well. But just the fact that one, Yes, you got him via a trade, and then you just assumed the rest of his contract. And yes, he'll be 32 this summer. Yes, he's got 10 years of experience. But I like, to your point, MJ, the fact that he has always been on the football field, all 16 games last season, all 16 games in four of the past five seasons. And over those five seasons, it needs to be repeated a pro bowler in three of the past five years. So he is either hitting his peak or getting to the point of his career where everything now, I won't say easy, but he understands the game, understands what is being asked of him, and obviously the other 10 players on his side of the ball with respect to the offense. And I think, you know, we always talk about punters and, and kickers and long snappers where they can play late into the 30s. I think I think centers can play to the 35, and I think when you look, you know, guys that get there in, the, in their mid-30s, it's really about technique and, and football IQ. I mean, they're not trying to go out there um, to hurt someone, meaning like they're, they know what they got to do to get the job done. Where maybe as a younger player, it's, oh, I'm going to play the echo, the whistle. I'm going, I'm going all balls to the wall. When you, when you get to a point in his career, he doesn't have to prove anything to anybody. It's more about what he does week in and week out. I'm curious to see. You know, you know, when it comes to practicing and everything else, because, you know, again, um, if there was one upgrade and we talked about and we'll get into with A.J. Green, um, that was the biggest upgrade because based on we didn't know at the time, but Beecham coming back and Pew coming back, taking a pay cut. Hudson restructured his deal to push some money around to help the Cardinals. We know Humphreys hasn't reached his peak and now it's a matter of what's going to happen at right guard. So. I just think, you know, having a veteran like that who, when he walks in the locker room, he's going to get, gain respect. And I just, uh, at the end of the day, it's really to protect Kyler Murray. Yes. And as our colleague Bertrand Berry likes to say, you build from the inside out, regardless if you're talking offensive line or defensive line. And obviously the center position, it all begins there in terms of the protection the line calls and then you go inside out and the Cardinals certainly have made a tremendous upgrade along the offensive line with the addition of Rodney Hudson in our mind the best move of the offseason so far as we speak here in the first full week of April you know it's interesting Craig you're starting to see some of the stories who are the biggest uh, signings uh, or, or trades and you're seeing a lot of Matthew Stafford and then I think initially it was J.J. Watt, but I, I don't know if the center is going to get that kind of hype. Um, if it was a left tackle that you signed in free agency or a pass rusher. But I, I, I put, you know, the Hudson up there in the top five. I, again, I think J.J. Watt, just based on the position, um, he's, he's kind of resetting his career. He couldn't be more thrilled to be with the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, he's going to do add so much to that locker room, practice, um, off the field. But – you know, Matthew Stafford, they, they upgraded that position. And I'm sure we can go around and look at other players, but when it's all said and done, I, I think Hudson should be in the top five. I would agree with that. And I think it's a credit to not only our learning more about the game and being students of the game, but recognizing just what it takes to win on Sundays. And yeah, you need to score points. I get that. You need a quarterback, but nothing happens if that offensive line isn't doing its job as far as running backs, receivers, tight ends, quarterbacks. And I think sometimes it's a position that gets overlooked, but I'll credit the Bird Gang. When this move was made, a lot more people were talking about Rodney Hudson than an A.J. Green, which was a surprise because we think skilled position players, they, they capture the headlines. We have the highlights for those kind of players and plays. Hard to find highlights for a center, let's be honest, but it is a recognition of the importance of that position. And I think it's only increased as the level of offenses has grown and more is being asked of offenses and specifically that center quarterback relationship. 
And when I look at it, when, when you said best move of the offseason, I mean, that's you, you can acquire a player through a trade or as a free agent. Now, I think if you're talking about free agent signings, we're going to get into it next. But I, I do think J.J. Watt will create some headlines just based on him being double teamed last year. He won't face that. Chandler Jones, Marcus Golden. So, um, again, there's a difference between best move in the offseason, best free agent signing, best re, uh, re-signing their own players, and that's stuff we're going to get into here. All right, let's get into category number two. You mentioned it, best free agent signing. So the addition of a player not on the team a year ago, and for me, MJ, it's Malcolm Butler. It certainly fills a need, and let's be honest, even if a Patrick Peterson had returned you needed to address the cornerback position because going into the offseason all you had was a byron murphy and robert alford you ultimately released alford brought him back on a minimum salary but this to me defensively might have been the number one need going into the offseason based off of what you had on the roster and just the fact that because as we just talked about offenses and throwing the football around you need guys to be able to cover, and the Cardinals didn't have much in the cupboard. They have a little bit more now. I do think that there is still time and a need to get one or two more, but you do have that number one guy, if you will, Malcolm Butler. Yes, once again, we're talking about a 30-year-old, but certainly playing some of his best football. Oh, he's coming off his best season, and uh, we've talked about him, just how he is beloved in the building. Um, you know, him and Jeffrey Simmons were their best players, wasn't even close. Um, they had they had a lot of issues in that secondary with the Dory Jackson, really didn't get a chance to play a lot. And and then you just look at the physicality when it comes to run support, trying to trying to press at the line of scrimmage. Now, we need to point out if he's going against a speed guy, you better have some safety help. But he went against some bigger physical receivers last year, and I think Allen Robinson would be a prime example. Um, but he's a number one corner on this roster right now, and I think it gives the Cardinals a little flexibility where they're not forced to take a corner at 16. I think they can move down and go best available player, whether it's a running back, um, a wide receiver, or, you know, I think people are going to say, well, you, if you drop down, you're going to miss out on the corner. This, there's, this, this is a deep class at corner, and I think we're seeing it over the last couple of years just because of how many teams are going 11 and 12, or 11 and 10 personnel. And we know running backs are catching the ball at a high rate. We know that tight ends is a mismatch for some of these uh, linebackers and safety. So um, it's a deep draft at wide receiver. It's a deep draft at cornerback. And, you know, so when I look at it, I, I think they have some flexibility. And they'll probably bring in another uh, veteran guy just to kind of make sure you have some, some depth that has experience maybe. I don't know if it's Drake or Patrick, but – the thing here is, though, when you look at Malcolm Butler, I mean, he's this is the defense they want to play. And I know Patrick was excited about that, but as we pointed out over the last couple of years, and I think he would admit it, he didn't have the same foot speed. He was struggling on the crossing routes, the slant routes, and that's not going to be the case with uh, Malcolm Butler. You mentioned those names as far as draft prospects, and I think everyone is familiar with Patrick Sertan, J.C. Horn, Caleb Farley, but looking at what Bucky Brooks on NFL.com Late last week, updated his top five at each position, and he's got Asante Samuel, Elijah Molden, two other guys at the cornerback position that a lot of these teams are high on even before their pro days. So, yes, the measurables look good for certain players versus other players, but as we've seen, Jeff Okuda, he was supposed to be the guy for the Detroit Lions in the secondary, and he struggled. And for some of these players, it takes a little bit longer than others. And there's no way of knowing that until you get them on the football field. But I do think cornerback not only will be addressed either before or after the draft with another veteran, but I do think you'll see a cornerback come off the board by the Arizona Cardinals, whether that's day one or day two. I would agree with that. And, you know, we get into this every year, you know, if they would have taken an offensive tackle, which offensive tackle would have been there at number eight? Um, and each team, I mean, I, we know that they had Andrew Thomas ranked very high. I think it was uh, Worse who went to the Bucks. They had him ranked very high. They had Josh Jones ranked very high. They didn't have Meekum uh, Becton um, ranked very high. I think they were concerned Boomer Bust, and you got to give him credit. He had a really good year. So if we sit there and say, well, if they move them in 18 or 19 and they go corner, you don't know how they have their corners ranked. 
I mean, you look at this Newsom, all these corners got great size, six feet, six one, uh, long arms. Um, and we know, I, I classify it that the number two corner or the, the number two corner is just as important as your slot corner now because you've got to be able to cover. So um, they'll have some flexibility. And Caleb Farley, Farley, you know, I wouldn't be too concerned. I'm sure it is a red flag. I think like maybe 50 guys are going back to Indy for rechecks. Um, supposedly he'd be ready for offseason or training camp. And, and again, you're talking he, about the back procedure that he had done yes, recently. Yes, yes. And it's, and players have come back from it. It's unfortunate, but at least it showed up now where you get to camp and now all of a sudden he's out for a year. Um, so, when, But you can slow play him then, you know. I mean, we, we, we did a debate and, you know, we talked about if the Cardinals do draft a rookie corner, will he start, which is one play, but will he play, nine, you know, at least nine games? And, Again, injuries occur. We know about all for the last couple of years. Murphy's been able to stay healthy. I think he's really physical and he takes care of his body. And then you look at Malcolm Butler, he doesn't miss a lot of games. So that ideally that would be to slow play him. And then we know that Vance is going to play a lot of nickel and dime defense. So you want to get your playmakers. I don't think we're going to see that jet package where Isaiah Simmons is not coming off the field. Buda Baker's not coming off the field. Butler's not coming off the field. You know, Hicks may be rotating a little bit more just because of age. So they're going to have some flexibility, but, uh, you know, in the perfect world, I guess you can slow play them, but we know injuries occur. And then, of course, the secondary, the safety position, how much coverage do we get to see out of those players, whether that's a Buda Baker, a Jalen, Deontay Thompson, guys that certainly maybe you want them in the back end as rovers, but certainly in a pinch could come up and certainly cover a slot or cover an area of the field if you're playing some zone. I like the fact that they added some veteran guys with experience. We know we're, we're familiar with Banjo, and, you know, he's a guy that got a chance to play a little bit because the, the Thompson twins were either on COVID or they were injured, and you got some experience out there. And then, you know, you, you look at, uh, you know, Charles Washington, Chuck Washington. He's a really good special teams player. So I think Williams will help him back there. But I, I like that he got some experience because, you know, at this point, you got to stay healthy. Durability and availability are very important. And I think Jalen showed some flashes. Um, unfortunately, he got hurt in week one. And then I think Deontay Thompson, I, I like that he was a little bit more physical um, during the season where I didn't really see that in training camp. Cardinals covered two presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Free agency superlatives as we look at what the Cardinals have done here over the past several weeks and months since the season ended. We did best free agent signing. Now, MJ, best free agent re-signing. The move that you liked the most on a Cardinals player that is returning to play for the Arizona Cardinals in 2021. I'm going to go with the junkyard dog, Marcus Golden. Just because, you know, I think the Cardinals uh, allowed Hassan Reddick to taste free agency. I think there was some current concern that can he do it again? You know, they had five years of film on him. And, you know, he did a really good job. You know, you, you take away those five sacks and, again, give him credit for that because that was a really quality win. You know, they got a lot of production from Dennis Gardick in that game. But I just think Chandler coming off an injury, getting a little bit older, um, you know, yes, you added J.J. Watt, but technically he's a defensive lineman. He could line up uh, – he can line up at five technique, seven technique, nine technique, which based on matchups. So I just think it was important he wanted to be here. Uh, I really like the contract. Um, you know, basically he's going to make about 2.5 per year for the next two years. Um, he's been he's been able to stay healthy, brings passion, energy. Uh, I just love to hear the guy talk just because he never has a bad day. And I just think they, it's a great insurance policy and doesn't force them to go out in free agency and overspend or they're, they're forced to take a pass rusher, um, you know, at, at 16 or somewhere else. And, and that's why I think, you know, when you look at Malcolm Butler, if he plays well enough, I would hope that Cardinals want to extend him. And so, again, you do have to fill that position when guys are on one-year contracts.
Golden wanted to be here. He made that perfectly clear. I'm going to go, not that your response was wrong or I disagree, but I prefer to look on the offensive side and the offensive line. Kelvin Beecham, another player who wanted to be here and is only playing for the Arizona Cardinals, as he said, because of Sean Kugler and what he has meant to Beecham's career. But I like the re-signing of Beecham at right tackle. Yes, he's been predominantly known as a left tackle, but he played very, very well last season. And once again, you talk about solidifying a spot and maybe not as important as the left side, but it is becoming almost as important talking about that right tackle position because what we're seeing defensively teams lining up edge rushers on either side of the ball trying to get to the quarterback but Beecham certainly has been very very good and it also gives you more time to work with a Josh Jones in order for him to get ready to become a tackle and as we heard from coach Kugler Jones is getting a lot better playing inside so maybe we see him get some work uh, one of the guard positions but i like kelvin beecham nothing against marcus golden but if you're going to tell me pick one free agent re-signing for me it's kelvin beecham well said and you know how i feel about him played all 16 games last year i think he may have given up one or two sacks maybe three pressures um you're right teams have multiple pass rushers they're moving guys around they're lining them up on the same side and you know Usually your left tackle has, you know, uh, really good feet and uh, he could protect the blind side of a quarterback. Your right tackle is sometimes you're running the ball more to that side because maybe that left defensive end or the outside linebacker doesn't have the same skill set where they can turn on a dime and make a tackle. So I'm a big Beecham fan and I I like to hear him talk. And I, you know, something he said that, you know, was, was kind of weird last year where because of social distancing, they really didn't get a chance to really talk to their teammates. And so offensive linemen pretty much stayed together. And, you know, obviously when you're in the locker room, same time. So uh, I think he's a great leader. And uh, because of Sean Kugler, that's the only reason he's playing right tackle. I mean, not that there's a right or wrong answer, but I think if people have listened to the show, I think they know how high we are on Kelvin Beecham. Uh, I was looking forward to seeing Marcus Gilbert. Uh, right now he, he's still on the roster. Uh, the Cardinals win, would own his rights. And he just got married, so maybe he's thinking about um, retirement. Or it's not where he can just call another team up and say, I want to play. They own his rights. So it was important to bring Beecham back. All right, so let's just split the difference. The best re-signing offensively, Calvin Beecham. I like it. The best re-signing defensively, Marcus Golden. I like it. Let's move to most important move of the off season. And this is, this can be in any way you want to define importance, but I'm going to kind of maybe go a little bit out of the box here, just because in this day and age, games are decided by one score or less almost weekly. It's very rare these days now for a team to consistently either blow out an opponent or get blown out. And this is where special teams becomes huge for me and specifically the kicker. Matt Prater to me, MJ, the most important move of the offseason and might be just because of that recency bias. How many times we saw the kicking game fail the Cardinals last year to where maybe a kick against the Dolphins, a kick against the Patriots, and then all of a sudden we're talking about a 9-10 win team, and then we're talking about a playoff team. Those kicks were not made, thus the postseason was not made, and here we are trying to figure out how to get this team back into the playoffs. And when we got a chance to talk to Steve Kime, one of the things I brought up is just resume, experience, pressure kicks, his his uh, his percentage over 50 yards. Um, he's made kicks, you know, going into the half. Now people are going to look at his numbers from a year ago. Um, very similar to somewhat Gonzalez, but I'm talking about body of work. I mean, uh, this team gave away too many games in the last two years. We always talk about, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't beat the uh, 49ers in week 16 and 17. Well, if you win some of those earlier games, all of a sudden, you know, maybe you're playing for a higher seed and there's more at stake, but it didn't happen. So I really like this move. I, I again, um, you know, Cliff, Cliff this year maybe he doesn't go for as much on fourth down, even though he's aggressive by nature. But if you if you're playing for field position, you got a seven point lead, and it's early fourth quarter. You want to go up by ten. You want to go up for a two possession game. He's going to trust Matt Prater versus holding holding his breath, wondering, 
if Zane was going to make it. And in fairness to Mike Nugent, he kind of bailed this team out. We weren't talking about Mike Nugent towards the end of the season. Here's what you need to know, Bird Gang, about Prater when it comes to experience in late game situations, clutch situations. All apologies to our colleague Kyle Odegaard. But Prater in his career has made all 22 game-winning field goal attempts with two minutes or less remaining in regulation or overtime. In other words, perfection when the game is on the line. And yes, he'll be 37 in August, but as we've seen with quarterbacks, you can play in your 30s, your upper 30s, dare we say your low 40s in the terms of Tom Brady. But yes, you need a solid kicker he did not have a great season a year ago, second lowest mark of his career when it comes to converting field goals last season, but perhaps maybe a change of scenery. And then we talk about location, location, location. The weather is good. You're in a dome stadium and you're playing on grass. All of the above. You know, you know, when you were going through his numbers, I'm like, oh, Craig sounds like that announcer when he's lining up for a 54-yarder going into overtime. I mean, listen, he, you hope he's 100%, but the other team tries to go after the kicker, but I just, I think they definitely upgraded. Um, I don't think they have to worry. I think he just, you know, again, he's not going to be perfect, but when the, when the game's on the line, that, that's when he needs to come through. Yeah, and it's a two-year contract, so keep that in mind as well. It's not just a one-year deal for Matt Prater, who, again, reunites with special teams coordinator Jeff Rogers, also with Devin Fitzsimmons, the assistant special teams quarter, and then his long snapper, Aaron Brewer. So some familiarity. We talk about relationships a lot. He's coming in, and he's not coming in blind. He might be just pick up where everyone left off when they were all together with the Denver Broncos in terms of Rogers and Brewer. And we know Rogers got a lot of uh, say when it comes to special teams. Uh, they decided to move on from Zane Gonzalez. If you would ask me this last year, I thought he was going to get maybe a possibly a contract extension. They gave him a nice tender last year. He didn't pay dividends for him. Uh, Fitzsimmons uh, most recently was at Vanderbilt. Um, but the fact that Prater's been there forever, you mentioned Jeff Rogers. So, yeah, I mean, uh, they need, uh, listen, Jeff Rogers knows that Nobody focuses more on special teams than him. That's his job. But like I said, get more from the kick return game. If teams are going to kick in the end zone or close to it, get more from the punt game, the coverage units. But the fact is you you have to, you know, do your – it's a three-legged stool. You have to do your part when close games, whether it's a punt inside the five-yard line where somebody went down there and downed it. Um, so Jeff Rogers puts a lot of emphasis, and I'm sure every coach does, and probably should start with Bill Belichick. That's kind of how he cut his teeth. But, yeah, the fact that Fitzsimmons was there with him, and then obviously Rogers, that goes a long way. Plus, the wife's from Arizona, former Cardinals cheerleader, and I got to assume he likes to play golf. Yeah, I would think so, as we know that uh, a lot of those players do, especially on special teams. Let me just clarify real quick, in case it wasn't clear coming out of the gate, Bird Gang, but Jeff Rogers, Aaron Brewer with Prater with the Denver Broncos, Devin Fitzsimmons with Prater yes. with yes. the Detroit Lions from 2014 to 2018. So those are the connections, and we're making a lot of connections this offseason as far as trying to figure out what pieces to the puzzle this team is adding so far in the offseason. All right, smartest move of the offseason. And for me, MJ, I made this clear last week when we talked about Colt McCoy. It is the smartest move of the offseason. We can go a number of different directions here. Maybe you agree, maybe you disagree. Again, maybe we don't see him on the field. Let's hope we don't see Colt on the field this season. Yet you do need to protect yourself. You do need depth. And if we're going to talk about depth at all these other positions across the field, Let's talk about depth at the quarterback position. The Cardinals did not have depth last year, especially when we found out that Brett Hundley was not going to be the backup and Chris Strebler was going to be active on game day. Colt McCoy, even if we never see him again, one of those moves that might be overlooked this offseason, and hopefully we'll never know whether it was the right or wrong move because if we're having that discussion, that means he's playing. And I think everyone wants to see Kyler Murray on the field for every single snap in 2021. Yeah, you were on this, um, you know, we did our positional breakdown and I think you and I were in agreement, um, you know, Chris Strebler, he, he wasn't ready to play in that game and it's unfortunate. 
Um, and he was put into a tough spot, but hey, you're the backup. You're one play away. It could have happened in week five. It could have happened in week eight. Um, but to me, I think the organization went into the offseason saying, listen, Kyler, um, yes, he's avoided the big hits, um, but the more he runs, the more he's going to put himself in harm's way. I do think he protects his body. I like the way he slides. I think he's learning to get out of bounds and not take that extra yard. But uh, he hasn't he hasn't been 100 percent at the end of the year. And I'm sure you can make the case for a lot of guys. But when it's a, when it's a shoulder injury or a hamstring that that affects his play. So you have to have an insurance policy. And, you know, you know, when we talked about this and we talked about you thought it was one of the smartest move. And I agree. And we used the word mentor and people are like, is Kyler going to be up for a mentor? My point was he this guy's going to his 11th or 12th season. He's been in a lot of different systems. He could just be a sponge, watch film together. He can point stuff out. And again, you just can't rely on Rodney Hudson. So it was, to me, it was needed. This is something that, yeah, you don't focus on the back of quarterback until he's got to go in there. But I think the organization realized they couldn't roll Chris Trevler out there again. And what I'm hearing, it's going to be open competition, but I, I got to think Colt McCoy has the edge. And I would be fine with whomever that veteran quarterback. I, you know, I, I'm, we're singling out Colt McCoy because McCoy was the one who was signed. I just wanted anyone with experience when we're talking about years versus games, someone who's been in the league, has experienced different things either on or off the field, that can be a sounding board for a Kyler Murray because I don't think he had that last year. And I don't, I know I wasn't in the room, so I don't know, know how helpful a Brett Hundley was. But when you're the third quarterback, you know, I don't, I don't know how much the starter is listening to a third string quarterback. It's not like Drew Stanton was in the building because Stanton, you know, I think you have to listen to someone like that when he was with Cleveland or ultimately ending up with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But uh, I like this move because of the veteran that a Colt McCoy provides. Yeah, and I didn't know how things were going to shake out with some of these corporate guy. The guy that I was intrigued with was Tyrod Taylor. Now, right now, he's he signed with the uh, Houston Texans. Uh, obviously, the uh, there's a cloud over Deshaun Watson. Um, I also liked RG3. Uh, I know people are going to look like, well, he, he couldn't protect himself. That was on more on Mike Shanahan. I thought he did a decent job being a backup quarterback. Uh, clearly, he's not Lamar Jackson, just like he's not Kyler Murray. Um, but I'm, you mentioned Colt McCoy when we went through the list. And I thought, you know, he's played in the spread offense. He played in Texas. Uh, he's played in a lot of big games, at least in college. And he can run the RPO. He can run the zone read. Um, you know, I'm curious to see what his arm arm strength is. But, you know, hopefully he doesn't have to rely on that. But um, I think it was a much-needed move, and I'm glad. Because um, we don't we, – we can make suggestions and speculate and hypotheticals, but – at the end of the day, they don't tell us what they're doing. I mean, they, they go out and do what they do. And we wish they would tell us. It would make things a lot easier, for being honest. <laughs> yeah. But in the, anyway, so we knew it was going to happen. But I think, you know, like Chase Daniel, he's made a fortune being a backup quarterback. He ended up going to the Chargers, I want to say. And so I thought he was appealing to me. Because um, he's been everywhere and, you know, you learn from different guys, just like I'm sure, you know, Blaine Gabbard's learning from Tom Brady, Blaine Gabbard learning from Drew Stanton, Baker Mayfield learning from Drew Stanton, and Drew Stanton wasn't a threat to him. And I think that's what the Cardinals need in that quarterback room. All right, a couple more here as we do superlatives of free agency here this offseason, reminiscent of when we were all back in high school and the yearbooks would come out with the awards at the end of the year. But uh, the sneaky good move of the offseason, and I find this, MJ, is not a lot of risk in terms of what is the pay but the reward that the potential of this move can be. And I went with A.J. Green because, one, it's a need. We talked about as the season was winding down, this team needed to address cornerback, and it needed to come up with another playmaker, a number two wide receiver. And whether you agree A.J. Green is that guy or not, based off what they're paying him and what Green has the potential to do within this offense, yes, Low risk, high reward as a number two wideout, perhaps for the first time in his career. And you wonder what this means for Christian Kirk, because, you know, Christian Kirk, he flashes. He had the same amount of touchdowns as Hopkins last year. I think he was targeted maybe the second most. Um, he's missed some games. He dealt with COVID, and I, told, I was told that it affected him. 
we I think we all thought that a couple of years ago we were thinking he's one A. Uh, we all thought that he could be that number two receiver. So hopefully he's motivated. We know about Isabella. It's just more being comfortable and confident. Um, but I'll say this, Craig. Um, what if the Cardinals took a receiver in the, in the first round at somewhere between 20 and 25? Now, listen, I still think A.J. Green, uh, I don't know how much speed he has. He's never been a speed guy. He's been a, he's been a large, uh, uh, wide strider. He's really good on the 50-50 balls. Um, he can come back to the ball where Keyshawn Johnson kind of struggled with that. He's going to take pressure off of Hopkins. You know, I'm going to go with Brian Winters. Just from a standpoint, when you say not a lot of risk but high reward, now, there's nothing against Justin Murray, but it appears that they're going to have competition. So, you know, if they draft a receiver, then they're going to have a rotation. A.J. Green's probably going to be your starter because it's hard to – kind of learn that position. Uh, I know these guys play at big time schools, played in big games, but it's a little bit different. You got to know the routes. You got to change your route based on coverage. So winners for me, I was going to go a wild card on you and say Dennis Gardeck. Okay. But we're not going to see him for a while. So that would just be a cop out. I'm going to go winners. Uh, you know, the more you hear, I, you know, but I, I like Murray, but Murray could be your swing tackle if they're not comfortable with Josh Jones. So I'm going to go winters there. And if he is your right guard, then all of a sudden he's right next to Kelvin Beecham. And those two were teammates with the New York Jets. So you've got some familiarity, maybe that nonverbal communication that takes sometimes, you know, an entire offseason or an entire season to build. Now, all of a sudden, maybe that's already taken care of with those two on the field together. I like the move because yeah it was you know an under the radar signing that could certainly pay dividends down the road and your comment about aj green and what if the cardinals do select a wide receiver especially if one of those three that everyone talks about is available at 16 those three receivers jalen waddle smith jamar chase those are all outside receivers potentially either to either push an A.J. Green to where you become the number two or you're the backup to an A.J. Green. If nothing else, MJ, you at least have Hopkins and Green to mentor a young wide receiver and an outside wide receiver, not someone in the slot. I think I think this team is fine with slot receivers. I don't need to see another slot receiver unless you're ready to ride off Christian Kirk and Andy Isabella and Keyshawn Johnson. I think the team wants to give them all one more year. In the case of Kirk, all he has is one more year to prove himself. But it is an interesting point because maybe if that wide receiver is at number 16 and he's ready week one, then it becomes, once again, you're talking about competition. May the best man win, Green versus rookie wideout. Don't forget, Green's on a one-year contract. Yes. So, I mean, and again, hopefully he gets 40 to 50 receptions, um, you know, a couple touchdowns, you know, average per catch. Hopefully it's somewhere between 14 and 16. What about Waddle? He's an interesting case study because there's a segment that believes before he got hurt last year at Alabama, he was trending to be even better than Devontae Smith turned out to be, and Smith ends up winning the Heisman. Waddle, from all I've read, and again, I don't make any uh, promises or, or pretend to you know watch a lot of film or anything like that, but Waddle is an explosive wide receiver, and I think it was either Daniel Jeremiah brought it up on Move the Sticks podcast that Waddle, one catch for 50 yards versus Smith, maybe it's four or five catches for 50 yards because of the explosive ability of a Jalen Waddle. Jamar Chase is the best wide receiver in this draft. I mean, he's got a little bit of Anquan Bolden, obviously the 40 time. He's got a little Larry Fitzgerald. It's not even close. Smith, to me, is a speed guy. Um, everyone's looking to, for a guy to take the top off the defense. I like Waddle a lot. Um, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not afraid of the injury. Uh, clearly, he wanted to play in that, in that last game. And, you know, but Jeremiah is right on. And he's a former scout, and he's not going to put his name behind something he doesn't believe in. Because, you know, people will look back and say, you got this guy. But I, I don't even think it's close with Jamar Chase. I mean, and then I think when you look at Kylie uh, Pitts, I mean, he, he's, his measurables are close to Calvin Johnson. So those guys can come up. I think Chase will be the first wide receiver off the board. I don't know if the Jets will take him at two. 
Um, the Falcons got to make sure they is, is Matt Ryan going to be Ryan Tannehill in their Arthur Smith system. Um, but Jamar Chase, I mean, he's a game changer. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see because last year it was C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy and then Henry Ruggs and then Justin Jefferson came out of nowhere. Yeah, that's what you always wonder. And I guess this draft class is certainly very good. And next year's draft class at wide receiver is supposed to be very good. Chase, six feet tall, Waddle's 5'10", Smith, 6'1". But Waddle, I think, could do some damage as an outside receiver. Yes, his measurables would seem to make him more of an inside guy. But I just think because of his speed, his breakaway speed, he'd be more apt to play outside receiver. So this might be one where we have to come back and re- visit at some point during the uh, maybe training camp or even the regular season as far as sneaky good move of the offseason oh no doubt and and don't rule out running back as far as draft first round yeah because they haven't signed a veteran i mean they they can Uh, i think they're intrigued with jonathan ward we know that chase is going to be the guy but i don't know if i would take a running back at 16. but you start getting to the 24 25 you know, last year he had one running back go 32 overall. You look at the running backs that are drafted in the second and third round, you can find them. So uh, I would not take one at 16. Um, uh, you know, Adrian Peterson, I don't think there's an Adrian Peterson in this draft. Derrick Henry, that's not the Cardinals offense. Uh, Todd Gurley uh, was a very good college football player in Georgia. Um, I just not – I just unfortunately it's a passing league but you have to, we know when we, we emphasize you have to be able to run the football so um but I, I don't I'd have a hard time if there's a receiver there at 16 I think this receiver would trump running back and there's other running backs yeah uh Javante uh, Williams out of North Carolina Michael Carter out of North Carolina when you watch Javante Williams you see Michael Carter but to me um, Carter is more suited for what the Cardinals are looking for in a short yardage situation with a bigger back. Yeah, both of those players, Williams and Carter, Carter the same backfield at North Carolina. Trey Sherman from Ohio State is another one up there on yes. many people's lists as far as when you talk about top five running backs available and whether that's first round, probably more likely on day two. All right, the last category here in our free agency superlative, riskiest move of the offseason and once again as you go back to sneaky good move low risk high reward riskiest move is high risk high reward as far as what the cardinals are hoping for and just based off the dollars and cents because that's what i'm looking at it's got to be jj watt what you're paying jj watt you're expecting a lot from him which is fine yet because of his injury history there is going to be a huge spotlight on J.J. Watt this season. It's nothing that he can't handle. It's nothing that he hasn't been through before. But for the Arizona Cardinals, yes, it was the first move of the offseason. Certainly garnered a lot of attention. And I do think that there is a segment out there that is wondering, okay, based off what you're paying him, what exactly are you expecting from him on the football field? Craig, we're going to mention 32 couple different times this year 32 years old he's missed 32 games in the last five years now i can i can kind of add another one but i don't think he's getting 33 million or 32 million get you know total contract now the good news is he's only making four nine this year it does escalate to 15 five next year or 15 eight um but it's going to all be based on him being able to play 16 games he did it last year he played over a thousand snaps I've, Curious to see how they, you know, they like their rotation there, but you want him on the field, especially in the fourth quarter, especially late in the year. Um, but just based on, you know, the signing bonus or the guaranteed money, even though it's only 4-9, which is pretty remarkable when it comes to avoidable years, and we're going to see more of that, it is a risk. And, and if A.J. Ewing came in here and he was making one year $10 million, I would say he's a risk, but he's going to make three up to six. So, but, yeah, I, I, there's, no other, there's no other guy that I would – point out that's you know again they didn't go out and give big money to anybody else besides jj watt yeah that is the spending that this team made in free agency was jj watt as far as number of years and number of dollars up to 31 million if incentives are reached and again let's hope that happens once again this cardinals team is banking on all of these moves working out much like a year ago with 
you know, a, a Jordan Phillips, a Devondre Campbell, and a Devon Kennard, those three free agency moves, we all were in favor of those three signings. And in the Arizona Cardinals early on, got production from those three guard from those three players, and then it dropped off as the season went on. So you're looking at free agency, and yes, there is certainly a lot of risk in all of these moves if we're being honest with ourselves. Yeah, and, and the Cardinals had an approach going into the offseason. Seemed like they want to add more physicality and leadership, help to change that culture in the locker room a little bit. And I think Watt does that. I think Hudson does that. I think Prater, just from a, a veteran standpoint, I don't. It seemed like when we talked to AJ uh, Green, he was very soft spoken. You know, he, he, we don't know the situation with Larry, but, you know, he knows that Hopkins is the number one receiver. And, you know, you don't want to come in here making demands. I'm going to be number two. I'm sure he's eventually he'll start working out with Christian Kirk and Andy Isabella. So, um, but just the money they paid Watt and the fact that, you know, he's missed 32 games in the last five years, I think that's the riskiest signing they made in the offseason. Overall, as you look at it, eight new faces so far have been added. Four offensive players, three defensive players, and one on special teams. And then, of course, the number of players that the team re-signed to come back for 2021 and all this can be seen on one page we invite you to go to the free agency tracker azcardinals.com slash free agency the players that have been added the players that have been resigned and of course the players that are still unrestricted free agents here as we begin the month of april and yes this team has been aggressive in free agency mj but it's not so much as people like to talk about going all in gm steve kime addressed that late last week with our colleague darren urban on azcardinals.com he believes that it was more one because of the contract of a kyla murray to where you could make some of these moves and be aggressive and then he added quote to me you can either sit back and watch it happen or you can be aggressive and take the bull by the horns end quote he's looking to improve this team in 2021 with an eye on 2022 and beyond but these moves are an indication of this team needing to take another step forward this season and that step is to get into the postseason yeah, I've been hearing a lot of, uh, about that you know, on the outside, about they're going all in. Now, clearly, you know, this team won five games. They won eight. They probably should have won 10 or 10 games last year and made the playoffs. But, you know, Cliff Kingsbury, you know, is there an ultimatum? He's got to make the playoffs. I mean, if you lose Kyler Murray in week five, then all bets are off. But as a general manager, you have to look ahead the next three years. That's their job. I mean, when he's giving out contracts, he's looking, you know, how much – do they want to extend Chandler Jones? I mean, Chandler Jones is going into final year of his contract. You know, do they want to extend Chase Edmonds? So as a general manager, you're looking three years ahead, whether he's here or not, uh, will be dictated on on winning. But I think the front office last year, they put a 10-win team on on paper. Unfortunately, they were 8-8. Eight and eight. So, and I know they feel like they, they've gotten better and upgraded at every single position, kicker backup quarterback, number two wide receiver, defensive tackle, center. They feel like they've upgraded at those positions, but again, we need to see it over the course of a season. Asked about the moves made so far this offseason, Kime, quote, I see it as a team that won five games and then won eight games, and that wasn't good enough. We had to self-evaluate and see where we needed to improve end quote and of course those positions that you just mentioned is where this improvement has taken place kyle also discussed with darren about some of the tough decisions that had to be made this offseason without getting into real specifics as far as players but the fact that sometimes you have to ask a player to restructure a contract or take a pay cut now when you restructure that's more for the team the players getting all the money he's due to earn, but it's just in a different form. So the reports out that that Rodney Hudson had his contract restructured, that's fine by the player. It's just so an indication for the team to kind of extend years on the back end and spread out some of that signing bonus money. Now a pay cut, that's a different story and that's a different conversation. Reports have Justin Pugh, Jordan Hicks being asked to take pay cuts. In fact, Pugh went on social media and confirmed as much, but he did it and agreed to it because he wanted to be here. Those tough decisions, as Kime said, quote, it's not fun. Anytime you have to tell someone their job is no longer, or again, you're going to reduce their pay, it can seem like it becomes personal, particularly to them. I understand that, which is why I try to handle it the way I do. 
but I'd be lying if I didn't tell you it was a difficult process, end quote. And MJ, when you're talking about Pugh and Hicks, those are two of the more productive players that this team has had over the last couple of years. And all of a sudden you're looking at them and saying, let's have a straightforward conversation. We want you to remain here. We just can't pay you what we're currently paying you. Help us out so we can all help this team get better. Yeah, and I think it's because of their ages. You know, we'll see if Pew's on the roster next year. He's coming off a really good year. Um, you know, I feel like this team, you know, maybe tailed off a little bit in, late in the year. But that's the business. And a lot of times, if you don't want to take a pay cut, they're going to try to trade you. And if not, they're going to release you. And then you got then you got accounting purposes. Where, okay, how much dead money is counting against the cap? Uh, the restructure, it's, it's a great way you explain it. It's just more for bookkeeping purposes. Um, but I, you know, you know, I guess when you look at it from Steve's standpoint, and people say, well, they want to move on from Patrick Peterson, which is accurate. Um, I don't think Patrick was the same player after the suspension. But I know Steve; um, he gets attached to players, and it's difficult when you got to move on because he he did so well for eight years. You know, eight Pro Bowls. He led this team, and he was you know he was one of the better players on the roster. But at the end of the day, it's a business. And the fact that he cut Adrian Wilson, his best friend, I mean, they both cried that day. And that was one of his first moves ever as general manager. 2013, that's when Bruce Arians, actually they cut Kerry Rhodes and Adrian Wilson within 24 hours. And that was, so at the end of the day, it's a business, but don't don't get misconstrued. The, the personnel department, at least the gentleman, they, they get attached to these players. They want to know about their families when, when, when you know, usually on Saturdays when we didn't have COVID, team, uh, players can bring their families out there. So they meet their wives, they meet their kids. They get attached, but at the end of the day, it's a business based on production. And this is where the other side of being a general manager, the part that doesn't get talked a lot about, we all see, you know, the fun stuff, being able to sign players and make moves. And then again, you sit back and watch and you're evaluating film and you're evaluating practice tape. Yet sometimes you do have to look a player in the eyes and say, thanks, but we're moving in a different direction. Or, hey, if you really want to be here, you're going to have to help us out. And you know, to be a fly on those walls, I know sometimes we've seen it through HBO's Hard Knocks, but even those conversations, I don't think give an indication of just what is, what the feeling is in that room. It's hard to watch from the outside in. Just imagine being inside during that time. Yeah, and there's only 32 of them, and I'm sure they're they're well compensated, but it, it's there's a lot of pressure, and it's no different than Kyler Murray lining up, you know, on a third and ten. The thing is, though, when you start looking at one from from a general manager standpoint, I mean, we always talk about positional spending and flexibility. You you just can't you can't afford to pay every single player, and sometimes you go heavier at one position versus the other. Um, but the whole idea is, when you look at the roster, um, you got to look ahead, and it's not just this season. Whether and again, whether he's here or not, or, but the main thing is. He's got uh, the authority from Michael Bidwell to plan ahead and start looking at not only this year, but next year. But I'm glad he came out because I think the outside thinking they're all going all in. If Cliff doesn't make the playoffs, you know, what are they? They got a really good coaching staff. I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I, I think Vance Joseph, I think he's getting the credit he deserves. He didn't get his first year. We know about Sean Kugler. Um, curious to see what Sean Jefferson uh, provides for that room, being a former player and a former coach. Um, I like the linebackers coaches. I like Brinson Buckner. So I think they got a good staff. It's just a matter of Cliff, you know, kind of learning on the job and him and Kyler getting on the same page. It's a great article up on azcardinals.com by Darren Urban talking about the choices that GMs have to make. The title of the article, The Hard Choices of the Roster as Cardinals Manage Cap. And last check, and that was earlier on this Monday, April 5th, Cardinals had almost $14 million in salary cap space, according to overthecap.com. But a lot of that is probably reserved for the draft, injured reserve guys. And then of course you want a segment or a, a pocket of money, if you will, for emergency cases once the season begins. So again, great job by Darren and getting uh, Steve Kime to speak about the inner workings, if you will, of free agency or this the offseason in general.
Yeah, a couple things that when it comes to the rookie pool, there's already a number out there. Now we'll see how many draft picks the Cardinals end up. You know, in the perfect world, they get an extra three, so that will go up. And usually the top 51 players count against the cap, so you won't have the entire rookie class. And then you have to stash uh, money for practice squad guys. We don't know if it's going to be 12 or, or 16. Those guys are making, you know, a couple grand a week, so that's almost a million dollars over a 17-game schedule now. And then you, if you want to make a trade, remember last year, Stefan Gilmore, J.J. Watt, Cardinals felt like, you know, they were still in the running, but they didn't want to mortgage the future. They can have some flexibility where they can acquire a Stefan Gilmore if this was this season, you know. So you got – and then, you know, I think they would like to extend Chase. Obviously, it's going to depend on how he starts the season. And then you look at Malcolm Butler. Is he going to be a guy – again, you got to let it play out. But um, And then Chandler Jones – you know, is, is he willing to, you know, take an extension or is he looking? Because I, I think if you're an agent for Chandler Jones, you're, you're slow playing this. I want the cap to go up, more money. And, and other things, uh, Craig, when the Cardinals lost 58 to nothing, what did Steve say? I'm never going to let this happen again. They go out and make the trade for Chandler Jones. And he's been one of the better players. I guarantee when they walked out of that stadium in week 16 and then after week 17 in L.A., they said we cannot line up. We have to be more physical because they got they got they got beaten the trenches in both of those games, regardless of who the quarterbacks were, and that was the priority. And we didn't know they were going to get Rodney Hudson. We knew that they were going to upgrade the center based on Coogler's comments, and then going out and getting JJ Watt. So you could tell little things like that fester. Maybe he saw that during the season, but that was the priority list going into the off season. Bird Gang, if you enjoy what you're listening to, we invite you to subscribe to Arizona Cardinals Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Listen to your favorite shows on the go, like Cardinals Underground, the Big Red Rage, the Cardinals Red Sea Report, and of course, this show, Cardinals Cover 2. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcast for more information. Speaking of the Big Red Rage, last week's guest, Frosty Rucker, some great information from Frosty, specifically about one of his Cincinnati Bengals teammates, A.J. Green. They were together in 2011, Green's rookie year in Cincinnati. And according to Rucker, quote, might be the comeback player of the year if he can get enough touches. And that's what we were talking about earlier, MJ, about the low risk, high reward, how he fits, talking about A.J. Green within this offense. All right, before we wrap up this edition of Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, it is the month of April. We're getting closer and closer to the draft. In fact, that is now where the focus is on the front office is looking at the draft. Yes, they'll keep an eye and monitor the free agent market. Maybe there is a move made or two between now and April 29th, but the scouts are certainly, uh, if they're not in town, they're, they're on their way in town, and those draft meetings are happening as we speak, and it's something that we will focus on now over the next couple of weeks leading to first-round coverage on April 29th. And then all of a sudden, you know, last year we had a top 30 list and Cardinals got two players out of there. Isaiah Simmons, third overall, and then Josh Jones, 30. I think the Cowboys got two of those picks. This year I'm going to stretch it out to, to a top 50, considering the Cardinals right now they don't have a third-round pick, and hopefully they can get a third-round pick. But right now, what is it, 16 and 49? Correct. Yeah, so I went 50, Craig. Top 50 prospects from Mike Jarecki. We will start releasing those names, or MJ will. I mean, this is this is your project, MJ. I'm not going to steal your thunder. This is your project. We will start that later on this week, kind of do 10 players each show, just some quick thoughts, or regardless on what you think of them, either if it's by position or just perhaps how they might fit with the Arizona Cardinals. But Mike Jarecki's top 50 prospects heading into the 2021 NFL draft. And Craig, you know, I feel for some of these kids because after like two months or three months of mock drafts, it's like 45 players are going in the first round. <laughs> yeah. And then what happens is the agents leak it and then scouts leak stuff. The problem is scouts aren't making, they're not making the picks. They're not, all their work is going to be done before the draft. So it's, it's just fascinating. And when we start talking about guys in the second round, maybe there'll be a, a Cardinal player because we focus so much on the top five at each position. 
And maybe we're not focusing on the inside linebackers this year. Maybe we're not focusing so much on the D-line like we have in the past. So I'm going to do top 50 players based on any position. Quarterbacks will be in there just because that's the way the draft's going to go. Um, but the fact is that, you know, uh, the Cardinals, will, I think they're going to get two really good players. Now it's a matter of do they fill a need? Is it, is it a position where a guy's on a one-year contract and they're looking for the future? Because that's part of the draft, too. You're building for the future. Great tease ahead moving forward here on Cardinals Cover 2. And on that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro. For Mike Jarecki, top 50 prospects. The countdown begins later this week. You don't want to miss it. Mike Jarecki, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.